All right, before we get started this morning, been watching way too much Hallmark Channel this week. Have y'all been watching too much Hallmark Channel this week? All right, everybody, everybody's in the mood. All right, I'm going to take a couple, uh, give an opportunity for maybe just a couple of people. What's a family tradition or a thing that, that you just love about this time of year and what this really means to you and your family? Anybody? Not all at once now, not all at once. Anyone? You don't even like your family? All your family being together. It's time to, for everybody to get together. Do you like that? Everybody being in one place? All the... All of yours being out of the hospital. That's a big thing for the Peters family. That's right. They, they are Northeast Georgia or Gwinnett Medical's family of the year for like 14 years running. Any others? Yes. There you go. All right. What's the best part? The family being there or Maryland's cooking for lunch? Both. All right. Good answer. Good answer. Any others? All right. All right. Very good. Very good. Uh, uh, yes, ma'am. We will. All right. So, Uh-huh. Yeah, that's neat. That's neat. If you've ever met her nine-year-old grandson, he could probably recite the entire Bible to us. He probably knows it by heart, all right? If it was anything like vacation Bible school last year. All right, it's time for our kids to be dismissed to Children's Church this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn with me, all right? We're going to be in, um, uh, actually, it's going to be just one verse from Psalm uh, chapter 8, verse 1. Uh, so you can either turn there or just follow on your outline if that will be easier for you because we're going to read that, and that's really going to kind of be the launching point for what we're talking about. So over the course of the last few weeks leading up to Christmas, we've been talking about what the name of Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, actually means. And so we've been going through each particular portion of it. So the first week we took Jesus, which means God saves, and we talked about God's sovereignty and how he redeemed us from our sin because of the broken relationship that we have with him. And then last week, uh, because of the snow... Uh, that didn't happen and the sleet that didn't happen and we canceled our services. So last week we were catching up on a week two and we talked about Christ, which means the Messiah, which means the anointed one and how he came to deliver us from our sins. And so God in heaven saves us, sent his son to die for us on a cross so that we might have a relationship with him. That's the picture that we have. That's the redemptive picture of throughout Scripture that we have in the Old Testament and then is delivered to us in the New Testament and that we carry today in the church. But the second part of the phrase, Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior, is really what I want to deal with this morning and then this evening as we do our candlelight service because there is something that's very important for us to understand. That is the Lordship of Christ. We forget about the Lordship of Christ because we want salvation. Nobody that I, well, you know, nowadays you never can say nobody, right? But back in the day, you could probably say nobody wanted to choose to go to hell, right? Nobody would want to choose that for their life. So we all want salvation. We all want heaven. 
But the problem is, is that we don't want to live under the authority and rule or what Christ or, or God tells us to do in Scripture. And that, that does away with the lordship aspect of what it truly means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And you cannot do that. So there's no way that we have heaven without the lordship of Christ. And so today that's what we want to look at. In, in Psalm chapter 8, verse 1, it says this, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, who has displayed your splendor above the heavens. Now, particularly, I, I chose this verse because of the way it looks in Scripture. O Lord, do you see how that's all capitalized? In the Old Testament, that would be Yahweh, all right, Jehovah, or what we would determine the name that was given because that name was too holy to be spoken. And so all throughout the Old Testament, they would even speak the name of God. I mean, we use God's name in vain like it's, you know, part of our vernacular now in, in culture today. We have no problem with that whatsoever. But they had such reverence and authority for the name of God, they wouldn't even speak it. So they had to come up with a name to be able to, to, be able to write it down so that they could speak of the Lord without actually speaking his name. And so what they came up with was this word Adonai. And so that is the... Um, that would be the Hebrew name for God, okay? And it's written in Scripture in capital letters. It's written in capital letters when it's in a reference to God. When we speak it as to speak to God, it's written in lowercase. So in both of these cases, you have it here. It says, O Lord. So as he's speaking to God, he says, Our Lord. And so do you see how it's capitalized first? And then it's not capitalized a second time. So the first time, he's using the reverent name of God. And then the second time, he says, Our Lord. And so when he says, Our Lord, it's Adonai written, and it's not all capitalized that way. So it's just a way for you to look at Scripture and see how when the reference of the name of God is used, and then how it's when we're speaking of God or to God as our Lord. He said, How majestic is your name in all of the earth? You have displayed your splendor above all the heavens. So he's speaking of the what? The, the total sovereignty of God here and throughout creation and about how he presents himself to us. So in the Old Testament, the, the names that I've given to you here or what I'm giving to you on your outline, it says Adonai. Adonai means master. And it's a name of reverence. It's the sacred name of God. The reason I was asking you about what your family does, and I'm not, I'm, I don't mean this in a, in a, in a bad way, but there's a, we have so trivialized what this is all about, and so as we trivialize what the birth of Christ is all about throughout culture and different things like that, um, sometimes there are things in our family that we do that not necessarily are all, um, God-focused, right? So there are some things that we do in our families that are just us-focused. It's, it's just something that our, little, our family does in particular. It doesn't necessarily mean that um, it's a bad thing. It becomes a tradition for us, though, right? Do any of you guys have any traditions that you guys, your family does? Uh, uh, we were talking about this some in our Sunday school class. Our, our family on Christmas Eve Okay, so I like the apple barn. You ever been to the apple barn in Pigeon Forge? All right, you ever had their apple fritters and stuff like that? Nobody of y'all ever been to the apple barn? 
All right, okay, good apple fritters, right? How about, you know, then you've got the, 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 what is it, the apple butter and stuff that they serve with it, and then they got sugar on all the top of it. So we went there one time, and of course, I ate like 4,000 of those. My figure shows that, all right? But it became one of those things where we liked to go there when we'd go on our trip. So then we thought, hey, let's incorporate this back in our lives so we'd take the mix back with us, and then we'd fix those. So on Christmas Eve, when we would be done with the candlelight communion service, I know we're doing it tonight instead of Christmas Eve, but on Christmas Eve, when we go home from that, we fix apple fritters, and we shove all this sugar into our bodies right before we try to go to bed. And so it's become a tradition. It's become something that we do, and we do it not because it's a holy thing, right? But it's just because it's something that our family does and our family loves to do. Do you have any of those? Just nod and say that you're like me in some way, shape, form, or fashion this morning. You are, okay. And so we do do things. There are certain things that we do that are traditions within our family. It doesn't necessarily mean that all those things are holy, though, right? It just says that it's a part of what we do, and we do them over and over and over and over again. Well, sometimes those things degrade into bad things because people get fat because they eat too many fritters on Christmas Eve. And so it messes up with our lives. And so the things that we do sometimes are not necessarily representative of God. Even though it's something that we're doing in in the way that we think for God. And so lordship is for us to understand that there's a master. That there's an order to what goes on here. And that order is important. We have a master. We have someone who we serve. And his name is reverent. And so everything about who we are and about how we live should magnify and glorify him. Now, I'm not telling you because I can tell you this. We're probably not going to stop apple fritters because I'm having this sermon this morning, all right? I'm not telling you to stop the thing that's, that's your tradition in your family. But what I am telling you is, is that sacred name the sacred name of God and the sacred things that we do in, in service to God or in love for God are important. They are who we are, more so than our traditions that we have for our family, the things that we've brought in. The things of God are that much more important to who we are as a people of God and, and how we represent God to this world. We give up everything of faith so that we can fit in. And this is where we err. Now, let me talk about this a little bit throughout Scripture and just give you the example. So God's people, Moses goes up on the mountain and and says, the people need a name to call you. And he says to tell them I'm what? I am. Just, Just tell them that I am. That wasn't good enough. And, and God serving as their Lord wasn't good enough. They eventually came back and said, We need a king. All of our peoples that we you know, mingle with here on this earth, they all, all these different groups, they have a king. They have someone here. What did God say? God says, I am your king. I am your Lord. But we need something else. And we constantly try to fix or fit this something else into our lives. And what it does is it eats away at the lordship of God in our lives. And if we eat away, we're going to see this in a few minutes when we get here to the end, I promise. That if we eat away with the lordship of God, we do away with the 
true meaning of salvation. And so what we don't understand is that we're actually undermining our own faith. So when we lay down the lordship of Christ in our lives and we act and do just what everybody else does so that we can fit in because we don't want to stand out and be different because culturally they tell us that this is the way that we're supposed to act and respond, then we're missing the whole point. All right, so yesterday, <clears throat> doing a lot of reading and stuff like this uh, over the holidays between commercials on my Hallmark Channel. All right, and so I'm sitting here reading. Did you guys read about the police department in Alabama who's been posting all these uh, God things? All right, they basically said, look, our culture is the way it is right now, and we have all these problems that we have because we've turned away from God. And they actually posted this on their page, and people are just deriding them. Because the sheriff has stood up and said, this is why we are where we are. It's because we've gotten away from this. And the way that our culture looks at that today is like, you are whacked. You are totally whacked for even thinking these things or saying these things. So we live in fear. We live in fear to speak the truth about who God is and what God has done in our lives for the way that people look at us. Then... We want to claim his, Him as Lord in our lives, but there's no lordship that's taking place. We've turned over lordship of our lives, and we've become servants to this world because we are following the same footsteps in which they're following, and they can tell no difference between our lives and their lives because there's no power from God because we refuse to stand up and live these things. It's the sacred name of God. Scripture gives it this way in Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. He says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision. Notice there again, what is, what is that word Lord in Scripture? It's, it's Adonai, but it's all caps, right? So he's saying right here that Abraham received a word from God. God spoke to Abraham. Now look, I'm, I'm sure that that was some kind of audible way in, in some way, shape, form, or, or, or fashion for Abraham. I don't know how that came. I don't know if that came in a vision. I don't know if that came in a dream. It doesn't give us all those details. It just said that the Lord spoke to Abraham. Now what would happen right now if the Lord just fell out and spoke to you right now? What would you do? You would have a heart attack, right? Uh, in, in the age of the church... God has not chosen really to do this audibly that we know of, all right, that we know of. Now, I'm sure that, there, that you have people and I have people that have, sp have said that God has spoke to them before. And so God has said things to them. But he's not, not necessarily that the heavens opened up and that an audible voice came down and spoke to them, okay? That's not what I'm saying. But I'm not denying that, that God could not and would not do that because God is God, Right? And so, here we live in this age where it seems as though that God is not speaking, but God is speaking. He's speaking to people, but he's doing that in what? Through the Holy Spirit speaking to our spirit. So God, I believe, tells us all what to do. I've told you many a times about my adventures on, lawnmower, on my lawnmower, right? And, you know? Have I, have I not told y'all about that? I've told y'all, right, about my lawnmower experiences. When I'm cutting grass, it seems like it's when God chooses to speak to me. 
Let me just tell you one story. I think I've already told this once, but if you haven't heard it, I'll tell you. So I'm out pushing. Um, I've just decided to go into the ministry, right? So I've taken this big step from moving from my secular job into a ministry job, and we're going full-time, and I'm out in my front yard, and I'm pushing my lawnmower, and I'm thinking about where God's going to do and how he's going to move my life. And I thought, well, maybe God will send me to, to a church that has— I, I used to love to play golf a lot— that would send me to a church that has a golf membership and I'll be able to go play golf a good bit. And I swear to you, a rock flew out from under the, the lawnmower at that exact moment and hit me right there. Right there. Right there. I was talking to God. God was responding. Do you get it? God was listening. He heard. And I'm, I can tell you this as, as, as plain as day. I was on my lawnmower one night one day uh, at, at our other house I'm not pushing anymore because I've, I've elevated myself economically to where I could actually ride on a lawnmower so I'm riding a lawnmower on the backyard and I'm riding around and God gave us this vision for a project at our former church called the M6 Project based off, based off Matthew 6. I've told y'all about that before. And next thing I know, we're doing missional work on multiple continents throughout the world. People from Africa started listening to the sermons online. And it, all this stuff, that's, it, it was a thing of God. That happened while I was riding a rotting lawnmower. And God was speaking to me. Do you see? It was that stillness. It's that time where I was just alone with God, and I'm having conversations with Him, and He is speaking. He's the Lord of all of this. I couldn't make these things happen. I couldn't put all this these funds. I mean, we gave thousands and thousands of dollars a year to individual projects that we were doing in South America, South Africa, and to a lady who was at one point in time was in Asia and, then, and is now serving down around Australia. And so we, we basically helped support them. We were the main person of a church of support for, for all of those. And we were 100, 150 people. And, and people just gave. And it was an amazing thing to see. Those are God things. Those don't happen without the lordship of Christ in our life. Those don't happen without Jesus Christ being our Lord and our Savior. Because there's no way that happens. This says right here that after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision saying, Do not fear, Abraham. I am a shield to you, and your reward shall be very great. This is the picture right here where we get the presence of God beginning to reveal what he's going to do. In chapter 12, he had told Abraham to leave, and Abraham was faithful to turn around and to leave the land of his father. And now in verse 50, or chapter 15 of Genesis, we pick this back up, and God is revealing himself more and more. But this is the first time that is revealed with capital letters. This is the first time that Abraham is acknowledging God for who he is. He spoke to him, and he followed, but now he's acknowledging him as what? Lord of his life. And as we know and as we follow through, if you go and look in chapter 22, he'll continue to reveal the vision or what, what are the words that God would, would speak to him and have him do in his life. It didn't happen instantaneously. Has God been speaking to you in your life about who you are and about what you're supposed to be? Did he give that all to you the moment that you received him as Lord and Savior of your life? Man, if he'd have told me what I was in for, at 16 or 17 years of age, I'd have said, no, thank you. I don't want all of that. I don't think I can deal with all of that. 
I'm not mature to handle all of that. We saw today, as we were reading in our scripture for our Sunday school class, that when the Lord revealed himself to Mary to tell her about how he was going to, he just said, you are the favored one, you're going to have a son, and you're going to name him Jesus. But later on, he revealed that she would suffer much and go through all of this anguish and heartache. And stuff. He didn't give it all to her all at once, right? Piece by piece by piece, God gives us who we're supposed to be and what our lives are supposed to be. Why? Because he's master, he's in charge, he's sovereign, he knows how it goes, he knows what we can handle. And so he cannot reveal all of this, all of this to us at once. Because you know what? He knows our limitations. He knows what would put us over the edge. So we must in turn walk by faith and not by sight. The way that we grow in our faith is a daily journey with him. And where the spirit of God speaks to our spirit. And he moves us from our comfort zones. And and where we think that we're going to spend the rest of our life and what we think we're going to be. And he transforms us. He transforms us into who he would have us to be. And it's done in his timing, not in ours, which really stinks for us, doesn't it? Now, I want you to think about that for a second. We all complain about it coming in God's timing and not our timing, but I just told you he's only going to give us what we can handle. He says that he's going to prosper us and there's going to be an abundant life for us. So he's bringing us along and giving us what we can handle, when we can handle it, how we can handle it. Because why? Because he knows us better than ourselves. This is lordship. This is master. This is why we need to have reverence for his name and who he is. This is why it's not about us. It's about him. So this is the picture that we have in Genesis chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Isaiah 6, 1. See this, what it says here. Here in the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, with a train of his robe filling the temple. So here's the picture again. So what is Isaiah saying here? He says, King Uzziah died, and then I saw the Lord. I saw the Lord on a throne, lofty and exalted. He saw him in all of his, his grandeur and, and a picture and a vision of, of where God lives in heaven waiting for us. Now, what happens following this? <coughs> you can speak back to me. It's okay. Just don't throw things. All right? What happens? Hey, what, do you remember what, he, what happens after this? He goes, woe is me. Yeah, he goes, yeah, man, I am an unclean man living a bunch of, amongst a bunch of unclean people. My lips are unclean. So what does God do? God sends a seraphim to come and what? Put, go in to the altar, pick up uh, um, an ember, and come and what? Cleanse his tongue, cleanses him of his sin. What is that a picture of? That's a picture of God taking away that which we see as sin in our life that keeps us from being who he wants us to be. Tonight, we're going to celebrate communion. What is that about? 
That's about the ongoing renewal of our relationship with God, cleansing ourselves of our sins, coming for communion, allowing that point in time where God comes and takes all the junk that we've already done. Not that he's not already done that when we gave our life to him, but this is symbolic of him continuing to cleanse us and to what? Move us forward in our faith. It's a time of examination for us. What is Isaiah doing at this point right here? He is examining his life. He's saying, I cannot have this vision from you. Because why? Because I'm a sinful man. Have you ever done that? Has God ever spoke to you about doing something and you go, whoa, I can't do that. That's not me. One, you got the wrong person. He chose Moses. Moses had a speech impediment couldn't speak to the people he had a stutter so he said what I'll use your brother as the mouthpiece but you're the person so he didn't let those things get between him and his relationship with God we can't do that ourselves he is Lord of our lives he can overcome everything that we see as a disability or something that keeps us from becoming who God wants us to be because why? because he's God how am I going to pay for this? he's God How am I going to do this physically? He's God. How am I emotionally going to bear this? He's God. He can get you through every single part of that. And this passage in Isaiah shows that. He recognizes him as Lord, but then he also sees his humanity, and God still moves him. God is our master, Adonai. Old Testament, name of God. So then we're going to move to the New Testament here. I'm covering all of Scripture in one sermon. Isn't that amazing? That's just absolutely amazing. Where are you going to go to get that, right? You get all 66 books in one sitting, right here, right before you. So in the New Testament, we move from Hebrew to Greek. So the name in in Hebrew was Adonai. The name in the New Testament is Curios. All right, now, curious is the the Holy Spirit is coming. Is it involved now? And so it it not only speaks to the master or the reverence of God like Adonai did, but it takes on a new role. The role that it takes on is that of authority. It's the name of a relationship. Why? Because Christ came and died for our sins. The whole relationship has changed. Because of the Holy Spirit, because of the fact that the Holy Spirit lives in us, our relationship with God is different from the relationship that people had in the Old Testament. So that's why I say when you saw God move through angels and you saw God use audible voice and all kinds of different things that he used in the Old Testament, a donkey, all kinds of stuff. That's why we don't see that in that way in the New Testament, in the the life of the church. Now, look, I'm telling you that there are people that say that this happens, and I'm not going to deny that it happens. But I'm going to tell you that for the majority of what we have, God is speaking to us, each one of us individually, through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Why? Because that is the age in which we live in. And it does not take away from who God is. A lot of people think that you have to have this special gift, and the special gift comes from God, and the special gift comes in some way, shape, form, or fashion. Do you have this? Do you speak in tongues? Are you able to heal? Are you able to do all these things? And people will constantly call this church and other churches and say, are you spirit-filled? And I say, yes, but not in the way you think. We are spirit-filled. Why? Because every single one of us has the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in us. 
We just don't think that he acts in special ways to special people. I believe that he acts in special ways to all people. And that the power that is in those folks is the same power to the nth degree that they have in you. We're just Baptists and we suppress him. I mean, I'm truth. That's truth right there. We believe in Jesus and we believe in God, the Holy Spirit. We take him or leave him. And that's where we're wrong. Why? Because that is the authority of God in our lives. The Holy Spirit gives us the relationship that we have with God now. And for us to deny his power is to deny that relationship. Why is our relationship not grow? Because we don't pray. We don't see the interaction of our spirit with God's spirit through the Holy Spirit. What does the scripture tell us? Scripture tells us in Romans chapter 12 that the Holy Spirit is interceding at the throne, groaning at the throne of the Father for our requests with words that we don't even know how to utter. That's what it tells us. It says that when I bring my request to God, I don't even know what to ask. But God knows my heart. And that the Holy Spirit knows what to do and is making those requests before the throne of the Father on my behalf. So you don't know what to say. You don't know how to pray. That ain't no excuse. None whatsoever. We are without excuse. If anything, we should be down on our knees going, Lord, I don't even know what I should be asking for right now. And you'll be okay. Why? Because of the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. God sees your surrendered heart. And because of your surrendered heart, the Spirit of God acts on your behalf before the Father. Awesome. Totally awesome. You don't even have to know what you think that you need to know. You just have to be. You just have to be the person of God that God has called you to. Why is that important? Because that's the exact same thing that Abraham did in the Old Testament. God spoke to him, and what happened? Abraham acted in obedience. And if you look in the Old Testament over and over and over, it said it was reckoned to Abraham as righteous because of that. Abraham was not a righteous person. Abraham didn't lead a righteous life even after that experience. He did stupid stuff. But it was reckoned to him as righteous because of God. You are righteous because of God. Why? Because God is Lord of your life. How is God Lord of your life now, today, in the New Testament age of the church? Through the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. That's how you are righteous before God. That's how you have a relationship with Him. Without that, we are lost. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. The church has become so like the world and has denied the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit so much that it looks just like everything else. So the same corruption and junk that takes place out in the world takes place in the church. Children aren't safe in the church just like they're not safe in the world. People aren't holy in the church just like people aren't in the world. Why? Because there's no curios going on. There's no lordship of God in our lives. We want salvation, and we're here for heaven. Baptize me, 
sanctify me and let me go. Actually, it's justify. Justify me before the Lord through some righteous act. And it's through all different denominations. You know, there's, what is it? I'm I'm missing it. What is it that the Catholic Church and the Methodist Church do this? A confirmation. What? Where is that in Scripture? I'm not throwing stones at them. I'm just saying when someone reaches 12 years of age or something, you're going to take them through a process and that's going to make them holy before God? No. It doesn't. In Baptist life, are we going to dunk you until you drown? Is that going to make you holy? Been baptized multiple times. I'm a multiple baptizee. I have baptized certain people multiple times. I'm like, is this ever going to take? Should I hold you a little bit longer? Come on. May it stick this time. This water's holy. It's not going to work. Does not work. Why? Because there's no relationship. There's no relationship because we've lost the Old Testament reverence. And if we've lost the Old Testament reverence of God, then we've lost the authority of God in our lives. See, that's the New Testament problem, is that the church has lost the authority of Christ. Why? Because we've lost the lordship of Christ. What does that do? That breaks our relationship. When we deny the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit does not move in us. If there's no movement in us, there's no move of God. Look in the New Testament and see what it says in John chapter 20 and then John, in verses 18 and 28. Look what takes place here. Mary Magdalene came and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord and that he has said these things to her. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Now, earlier Thomas has said what? I don't believe it. I got to see it with my own I need to see the scars in the hands and the feet. I need to see this pierced side. I need to know. Is that us? Is that us today? Are we like Mary? And we say, you know what? The Lord appeared and I saw him. He saved my soul and I'm, on, I'm good. Or are we like Thomas? I really need a little more affirmation here. I know you saved me. I know you want me to surrender my life. I know you want to be Lord of my life. But my bank account says this. Or my relationship with my spouse, children, workers, friends says this. Or people in the church are mean. Not here. All those other people. In other churches. They're vindictive. They gossip. They hold grudges. This church and the church that I formerly were pastor of have both seen when people have done crazy stuff and then just got up and walked out. That wounds us, doesn't it? Wounds us deeply. You know what it also does? It brings in doubt. 
God's people can act this way, what does that say about God? No, it's more about if God's people act this way, what does that say about God's people? Let's keep reading. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, and then verses 19 through 20. And the one who joins himself to the Lord is the one spirit with him. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have, ha whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. This is the temple. This is not the temple. This building is not the temple. This temple is 100 years old. Got all kinds of issues. This temple is the house of God. First Peter 3.15 But sanctify Christ as Lord in your heart, hearts, always being ready to make defense to everyone who asks you to give an account of the hope that is in you. Yet with what? Condemnation and a wagging finger? No. With gentleness and what? Reverence. Do you see the same thing from the Old Testament being found in the New Testament? The same word in Hebrew and the same word in Greek? Same thing. This is the last thing. I'll just close with this. I'm going to move quickly. Order of importance. There's no salvation without lordship. You just need to know that. Without lordship of God in your life, there's no salvation. And there are so many people in church today who are relying upon a baptism certificate or when they came down during vacation Bible school and surrendered their life to Jesus or some confirmation or some somebody cleansing them of this and telling them that they were holy and are doing some kind of process to go through something. And we have a piece of paper that says so. God is not going to take that for entrance into the kingdom of heaven because he sees right through all that and looks right at our heart. If he's never Lord of our lives, then those things mean nothing. Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What's the first thing you do? You confess with your mouth that Jesus is what? Lord. Then the second thing is you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So the first thing is surrender your life and, and let God be Lord of your life. That's when belief starts. Philippians 2, 8 through 11. Being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason, God exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee will bow, and those who are in heaven and under and on earth and under the earth, that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Savior, Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The New Testament refers less than 20 times to Jesus Christ as Savior. We're going to talk about that tonight. That's soteriology, the study of salvation, what it means for Christ to be Savior. But over 700 times, as Lord, curious. 
Does that give you the picture of what God thinks? God thinks that Christ needs to be Lord of your life. He saves. Jesus. God saves. Old Testament Joshua. He is the Christ. Emmanuel. God is with us. The anointed one. Sent through the favored one. And then next, he has to be Lord of your life. If he is not Lord, then everything that you are doing is a religious exercise. It is not salvific. You will not spend eternity with the Father. I wonder. I'll give you this one. Millions and millions of people on Baptist rolls. The rolls of Baptist churches. I don't know. I think our particular role has over 100 people on it, right? And there are like over 100 and something people that are members of this church. We average 50 to 60. Of that membership, there's probably 70 to 80. The majority, actually it's not the majority, it's about half though. About half the people that are on rolls in Baptist churches, we don't know where they are. They are members of something that they do not belong to. What does that tell you? That right there ought to tell you. If we can't find half the people that say that their members are a part of what we do, we got some serious problems. We need to be about the business of God. The only way we're about the business of God is if He's Lord of our lives. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. I'll tell you what I'm going to do a little bit different today. No, y'all come on. Ladies can come on up. But in this prayer time right here, I'm not going to pray for you. You're going to pray for you. So I'm going to stand up here in silence. And our closing prayer to this message is your prayer to God. Let's bow our heads and pray. speak to me. All of those, all of this is the opportunity to be able to give you to do that. So let's stand together and sing.